Hello and welcome to the Born Together podcast. I'm Techie Quay and I hope you enjoy tuning into this contemporary archive of stories on the subject of mother and parenthood. I believe in the connective power of this experience, whether it be that someone's story reflects our own or gives us the opportunity to learn and see something new. I hope that this podcast taps into the power of shared stories and that it may become a portable community for you wherever you are, illustrating the many ways we become parents and families, the lives that we live and the journey we make to find ourselves within it all. Thank you for coming on this journey with me and let's jump into the show. In this week's episode, Holly DeCruz treats us to the births of her two boys, Oscar and Cosme, and how she came to discover the power and science of our bodies and birth through hypnobirthing, a teaching that would not only hold space within her own birth experiences, but lay down the path for her future career. Holly unpacks the ending of her first relationship and the vision she had held for her life at that point in time, alongside the unexpected and incredible trajectory her life has taken in melding together a new family with her partner Simon and their boys. We also talk about the journey of motherhood, the way we are shaped and moved through alongside our children, and the freedom that comes with owning and cherishing your own path and space, working towards self-determination. I'm really excited to finally be sharing this episode with you all and for you to enjoy it. So here we go. Hi, Holly. Thanks for coming and joining me on the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. It is about time that I had you on because so many people have been mentioning you. So here we are. Oh, that that feels like a privilege. So thank you. Wow, thank you. Hopefully you you give a good interview. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a glass of wine down, so you know, the chances are good. They're high for a Tuesday night. (laughs) Holly, do you mind introducing yourself and telling us a bit about you and your family for those listening? Yeah, so my name is Holly DeCruz. I am a mum. I'm an author. I'm a hypnobirthing teacher. And I'm the founder of Yes Mum Cards and the Yes Mum Birth Project. And I live in South London with my extended family so I've got two boys I've got Oscar who is nearly 10 every time I say that I kind of get a bit of a shudder a bit of a pinch oh. moment 10, Ten. <laughs> I have Cosmo who is coming up for two and then I have a stepson as well who is uh, six months older than Oscar and my partner Simon and we have two dogs as well one of the dogs is a girl so technically it's not completely a house of boys but pretty much <laughs> yeah that's that's me that's you guys and shall we make a start to talk about your birth experiences I think it's probably something everyone wants to know like how were your births if you're a hypnobirthing teacher <laughs> not as you'd expect I thought it would yeah. be the first thing but like you can't teach if you haven't had an amazing birth <laughs> no, no I definitely had amazing births but it's never as people imagine I think when you're a hypnobirthing teacher people expect you to have kind of home water births or, you know, for it to be very natural or textbook kind of positive birth. And I say that in inverted commas because, you know, we all know that looks very different to everyone. So with Oscar, I had Oscar in 2010 and it was a completely unplanned pregnancy. I was 24 when I found out I was pregnant, 25 when I had him, and none of my friends had babies. I was really, I really had no frame of reference for birth. 
no experience of anyone any one of my friends being pregnant I felt very much the first person to walk that path almost you know when you haven't seen your kind of peers do it you feel like you're the first person to ever do something (laughs) yeah I was I was terrified terrified and I took a very I very much took a head in the sands approach for at least the first half of my pregnancy where I just thought, okay, this this event, this birth malarkey is far away and I don't need to think about it yet. <laughs> Too scary to think about it. So I just thought, oh, you know, I'll deal with that later. And then around the kind of six-month mark, I think when you start getting a bump, that kind of cements that you're actually pregnant, you know. Yeah, I, no, exactly, exactly. You have to kind of start acknowledging that you're pregnant. <laughs> and so I turned to YouTube and started watching horrific birth videos on YouTube, which I wouldn't recommend anyone does ever. I just, you know, when you kind of, hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? And you look back and you think, what on earth was I doing? <laughs> but um, I kind of was taking a worst case scenario yeah. approach, yeah. which I used to do a lot, actually. That was kind of a big coping mechanism for me in my earlier 20s. And the worst thing that could happen, then it could only be better than that. Anything better is a bonus, right? So it's like, you know, I was watching these videos and it was awful, but they were okay at the end. And that was my goal. I thought, okay, well, as long as I'm alive, you know, yeah, that's my kind of goal for birth. And my other half at the time was a bit older than me and he had some friends who'd have babies who'd apparently had good experiences and he said, you know, why don't you talk to them? And I remember talking to two or three of his friends in particular and they all described their births as being positive and enjoyable and one of them even said it was romantic. Romantic? (laughs) Sorry, what? (laughs) And she said, oh, we did hypnobirthing. And I just like, okay, great. You know, there's no way I'm doing that. I just just felt it sounded so far away from anything I was aligned with. And, you know, it's a terrible name for a really great thing, unfortunately. And so I carried on just being scared. And my other half said, you know, maybe we should do why don't we do a hypnobirthing course and I was like no way if you think I'm going along to a hypnobirthing class you know he was like well let's just go to one class and if it's terrible we don't have to go back I was like okay fine and so I went along to this first class and I was so cynical and it's funny because now as a teacher you always get that person in your class who has their arms folded and they're like rolling their eyes and you know what am I doing here and that was 100% they've been sent to me as a punishment <laughs> karma um but that was definitely my initial approach to it and it was funny because within about half an hour of the first class I felt completely I'd just done a complete u-turn and I realized that for the first time in my adult life I was actually learning what my body could do and what it was designed to do and how my muscles were working. It was really, to be totally honest, it was the science of hypnobirthing that appealed to me more than anything else. It wasn't really the breathing techniques or the visualization techniques. They were just too far 
from what I was comfortable with at the time. But it was the the hard facts. It was like, okay, this is a muscle. This is how it's designed to work. This is how you can work with it. This is what inhibits it. And it was that basic kind of the raw bits of hypnobirthing that really spoke to me. And it just kind of sucked me in because I thought I could get on board with it. Yeah. I thought we were just going to be singing or something or, you know. <laughs> Getting those like medical. Like massaging each other. I don't know what I thought. I mean, God knows what I thought it was going to be. But it wasn't what it was. Because I think, I don't know, in the in the sort of traditional sense, maybe the idea is more the women are dragging the men along to hypnobirthing. And, like, oh, we were the total opposite. Um, and then, yeah, it was you actually yeah. being like, oh, fine. <laughs> totally. And... Yeah, I just, it really was a proper turning point in my pregnancy. And it was it was then that I actually started engaging in being pregnant and acknowledging what my body was doing and connecting with my baby. All of those things that you would love to think you were doing, but I just, I had been avoiding it up until that point because I was just scared, which I think is actually much more common than we realise and yeah so I kind of went from wanting an elective cesarean to planning a home water birth I mean that's sort of the u-turn I think you can't do more than that can you I think we even left the class and I was like we should have a home birth and and Oscar's dad was like really (laughs) he's like okay (laughs) so you're glad we came then (laughs) Like, don't ask me for a thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, that's how much it transformed how I felt. And I was suddenly looking forward to it. I was going to say, it sounds like you were really excited, whereas before... I was dreading it. And then all of a sudden I was like, God, this is going to be amazing. And, you know, I I was in awe of what I knew my body could do and how much of an intimate, empowering experience it had promised to be. And it, and it was so going like racing ahead to my labor I guess I Oscar was born on the 3rd of December 2010 which is when we had a massive snowstormy winter oh, so I'm still are you had one of those you need to time back to 2010 <laughs> December 3rd it was very snowy and I mean we had like two feet of snow it was ridiculous like the most snow I've ever seen in my life and so helped everyone getting to you at home well (laughs) my labor started about five days before he was born my early labor started and my midwives this was kind of before the heavy snow my midwives had been coming out to check on me and were kind of happy that I was just in early latent labor and I was coping fine and I was you know really relaxed and enjoying things and then A couple of days later, I'd just been having on and off surgeries, really, and kind of resting and breathing and so on. And then one of on one evening before his birth, a big snowstorm was forecast overnight. And the midwives were like, look, if this happens, we're really worried that we're not going to be able to get to you. You know, you've been niggling for days. It's really likely that it's close we our advice would be that you transfer in and I felt really deflated I was like no you know I want my home birth like I was so happy at home I was so relaxed I was I felt like I was in this time capsule 
but no one we hadn't told anyone I was in labor so it was it felt really precious and sacred so we kind of had a think and and we decided that it was the best thing to do because I didn't want to have I didn't want it to happen without the support of the midwives and so we transferred in to King's and when we got in we went to a lovely room with a pool and it was actually fine I I thought I'd find it a a lot more disruptive but actually the midwives were brilliant and really accommodating they knew the kind of setup that I was transferring in from home birth so they did they really went out of their way to accommodate what I was trying to create which which felt really lovely and I was in the pool and I was progressing kind of slowly but okay and then when I got to like nine centimeters but I wasn't progressing past nine centimeters basically and no one could really figure out why because I was having regular surges and so they put me on the drip to try and increase the intensity of the surges which did increase the intensity of the surges the artificial yes exactly this intocinon so it did increase the intensity, but it still wasn't really progressing me past nine centimetres, which was kind of weird. And then one of the midwives examined me and Oscar had basically gone from having his chin tucked down to putting his chin up. And so he, he wasn't in a great position. He, he'd got himself wedged, essentially. And the midwives were great in that they kind of explained that he wasn't going to be born naturally and that the only option really was a C-section. And I think it's it's funny, isn't it? Because we say emergency C-section and we have these images of like being rushed to theatre, which obviously does happen from Saturn and the lights and everyone yeah. coming. But it wasn't like that. It was, I always call it an unplanned C-section because it, it didn't feel like an emergency. And then, yeah, so he was born by C-section. And because it wasn't kind of rushed or you know, he wasn't in distress, he was super, his heart rate didn't fluctuate at all, which I think was definitely down to the hypnobirthing. And we had our music on, you know, we had, it was a really calm experience. I was tired because I'd been in labour for ages and I did feel kind of emotionally depleted because I felt like everything I'd been working towards was just snatched away from me. Yeah, I know, I know. It's like, come on, it's also almost like doing the marathon and then not quite crossing the line, isn't it? <laughs> That's what it felt like. So, but the second he was put on my chest, I just felt this like rush of just joy and overwhelm and love and just, I was in awe of myself. I felt really proud of myself and I, I still felt like I'd given birth. I had <laughs> and I I think as well I by that point because I was so tired I was probably a bit delirious and had like loads of adrenaline going because I was on autopilot but yeah I, I remember that evening being in recovery and a midwife coming in and, and saying you know there are debriefs available if you know you want to kind of go through you you know you've obviously been through quite a traumatic time and I just remember thinking no I haven't (laughs) yeah and and so that was really interesting to me and that's when it clicked to me how effective the hypnobirthing had been because it was very interesting that 
they had perceived my experience as traumatic, but I hadn't. And I think that was down to the hypnobirthing. Because you'd been I, from that experience. Yeah, and I did feel equipped to navigate it and adapt the tools I was using to apply to the to the kind of situation I was in. So yeah, that's and in that moment I was like, wow, this is there's more to this hypnobirthing malarkey than I realized. And maybe I could teach it in a way that really thinks about births not going to plan so that's what kind of lit that light of me wanting to make this my career because I thought if that can work for me in that situation then I think I've got something to impart here I mean on like I think in the introduction of my book one of the first things I wrote was if you told me 10 years ago that I was going to be writing a book on hypnobirthing (laughs) I mean yeah (laughs) I just wouldn't have believed you because it's so far from where my head was at at that age and so yeah then I retrained to become a hypnobirthing teacher the year after Oscar was born so I'll have been doing that for 10 years next year which again you have It's a long time. Yeah, absolutely. No, and also back then, I mean, now hypnobirthing is very saturated and there are, you know, there are lots and lots of teachers, but no one was really doing it back then. It was quite, you know, I could only find one person in my wider area that was teaching it. So it felt like something that needed to be out there more than it was. Yeah, there's sort of been a bit of a birth revolution, mm. hasn't there? And that's for a reason. It's because it works. It's effective. It's life-changing. So it's great that there's been that expansion of, you know, being on more women's radars. Knowledge, isn't it? That expansion of understanding our bodies. Totally. We need yeah. more of it. It's led to a lot of positive change, I think, around the dialogue of birth. Yeah, and also I think the... The expectation of birth, like you said, it doesn't have to just be something to get through and something to survive. Yeah. Changing the, the conversation where we actually can think of it as, oh, this could be an empowering experience. Yeah, and that it's you've got choices. Because yeah. as well, when I was pregnant, I mean, Instagram didn't exist. And Facebook wasn't, you wouldn't really use Facebook for that kind of thing. So there wasn't this social dialogue around okay I want to see people's positive birth experiences I'll just look at the hashtag that didn't or I certainly didn't feel like that existed by chance at your yeah totally totally it was it was you know serendipitous and then fast forward eight years and I did again <laughs> I think I needed eight years just to come to terms with being a parent actually. How did you find motherhood? I really loved I love motherhood. I love it. I found it very it took me a long time to find my feet, I would say, because I felt like I was much younger than any of the other mums I was meeting and that I was I felt like I had something to prove. I felt like I wasn't as smart or wise or worldly or or well equipped somehow I felt like being equipped equated to kind of yeah I mean we were like in a little rented flat 
you know, we got everything for Oscar secondhand. I don't think we bought anything new. And isn't it funny now that's the trend? <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, like with Cosmo, I got loads of stuff. That I was like, oh, what can I get secondhand? <laughs> but it's just... Now that you know that you're officially a mum, yeah, you're in. exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it did take me a long time. It took me a long time to trust my instinct and not... And to kind of pave my own way and to think, okay, I don't have to do this how everyone else is doing it. I was very, very fixated on needing to achieve certain things to to appear like a good mother like I need to get him sleeping through the night you know I need to I hated breastfeeding I had a really bad breastfeeding experience I didn't I really resented breastfeeding but it's because I put so much effort into the birth I didn't even think about breastfeeding I honestly did it didn't even occur to me that you'd need to learn about it and now I say that and I'm like what (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but again I think that's just like the change of times isn't it and I think still now people get caught out where you plan so much for the birth and yeah. I always say it's like the wedding you plan for the wedding and you forget about the marriage oh which is yeah yeah that's literally your connecting flight isn't it <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly it <laughs> it's so funny and I think it is so important to prepare for birth but I think just as important, even just to know these things are coming. Yeah, or know who's there to support you or, you know, just having some kind of contingency. I mean, I I didn't even know how much babies fed. I just thought, well, we'll probably just, like, feed three times a day. Honestly, that's what I thought. I had no idea. I was so ill-equipped for it. And so I found that quite upsetting and, and I felt a bit lost at sea with it. Like, why can't this should be natural? You know, this should be easy. This should be, I sh- this shouldn't be a struggle. And I thought it was all on me for doing something wrong. Whereas now it's like, you know, I just didn't, I didn't realize I didn't have the support I needed. I didn't seek the education I needed. It didn't even, so that definitely tainted my experience, I would say, of early motherhood. So I, kind of fed him for five or six months resentfully every feed being in agony just hating it and then after that I feel like I settled into it more because that wasn't this kind of yeah that that kind of expectation had been taken out of the equation and I could settle into it and enjoy it more but I do it's funny isn't it because when you have that benefit of hindsight you look back and you wish you could mend something it's like I had such a positive breastfeeding experience with Cosmo. I loved feeding him. I was sad to stop feeding him. You know, I breastfed him for 18 months. It was just joyous. I found it so empowering. And I almost feel bad for Oscar that he didn't get that. Like, it's like <laughs> I want to say, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, do you know what, though? He had, so last summer, not summer, just gone the summer before, he had a really severe asthma attack. And was in and was in intensive care. It was, it was awful, and I was like, I should have breastfed him for longer. And it was just this. It was so weird because it took me right back to that sense of guilt and not being enough. And I'm, you know, I can normally rationalise these things. I'm. I feel like I'm quite self-aware and I can regulate and reconcile feelings like that. And I just, it just got me. I was like. I can't believe I let him down and I know that I didn't I did I made the decision with the tools I had at the time that's that's all I could have done 
But it's funny, isn't it? How that just, that mother's guilt is like just waiting. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that was a different part of that experience. It is amazing too, because I think it's hard where you have this amazing birth experience and then to have a, I guess, a hard, a tricky time into motherhood whereas you sort of think like it should all just go on the same trajectory totally yeah and also that every experience is so unique it's this isn't textbook is it I think this idea of a textbook birth or a textbook version of motherhood it's just rubbish and it it makes us hold ourselves up against something that doesn't actually exist (laughs) I don't know anyone isn't it I don't know anyone that has that textbook experience of anything and yet that's exactly it that mum guilt comes from something that yeah. doesn't even exist it's, it's a package it's isn't it idea. it's just a package for you to strive towards that because you won't reach it makes you basically buy things along the way <laughs> yeah <laughs> come to this unattainable destination buy our things <laughs> If you pay extra, you know you're going to have like plush seats yeah. along the way. Life is and, like, class on motherhood airlines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then in between your two babies, you had, I guess, a bit of a shift in terms of your family dynamics. Yeah, absolutely. Well. So when Oscar was four and a half, I separated from his dad. So we got divorced and you know, that was a a huge shift because I, I honestly kind of thought, okay, well, that's, it's just me and Oscar now and I'm not going to have any more children and yeah. And not, not that I wasn't okay with that, but it was, I don't know, it's, it's when life doesn't pan out as you expect, I guess, which is another hurdle, isn't it? Another <laughs> thing to navigate. And also to let go, isn't it? Like, I imagine it's hard when you've got sort of this idea and just to sort of find peace to just be like, it hasn't worked out that way. It's going Yeah, to totally. And, and actually my kind of headspace and, you know, the same for Oscar's dad was that we don't want to raise Oscar in an unhappy house. You know, it's, it's much better that he has two happy parents that are apart than two unhappy parents together. You know, we didn't want him to, for his first kind of image of a relationship to be dysfunctional or... And that's not really family. No, and it was it was so transactional and, and actually that's... He wasn't seeing the bits that we wanted him to see. He wasn't getting that message about relationships that were healthy or valuable. And actually when we separated he was getting two much better parents yeah. you know I mean and that's really is the truth it's he adapted incredibly well he's very resilient and I think that is because we kind of called it early on I think if we'd waited and let that kind of resentment and whatever build up it would have been a different story but he never really saw us arguing he never so yeah it's that it was it was difficult but it was right and I think you know in your gut don't you when something isn't right and it's like okay what am I what's what are my priorities here and actually I think you know I come my parents 
got divorced when I was in my early 20s. So they separated when I was about 17. And they would have been so much better separating earlier. But they they stuck it out and they stayed together. And I think a lot of people do that for the sake of what's right. Or, you know, it's about people pleasing, isn't it? Which, let's face it, a lot of our decisions <laughs> are based on the back of people pleasing. And again, Idea. Yeah, the ideal, this narrative, this so that idea of not people pleasing, but actually acting from a place of honesty and and really what you want rather than what society tells you you should have or what you should project. Or I think those things are so far away from each other most of the mm. time. But I think sadly we get caught up in what we should be doing, how we should be behaving. Shooting. Well, be complying. It's just we get we get constantly pushed further away from our instinct and intuition all the time. It's I mean that's such a true thing, isn't it? I was talking to someone the other day about the idea of a natural birth, and we said actually, when you think about it, it's funny that we pursue that, but there's not much in our lives that actually connect us to natural things, you know, no. like. It's interesting when well, we don't really think about that. We don't think how far we are away from it. Yeah, everything kind of packaged yeah. up as separate things, aren't they? And we so rarely link all of these experiences together. And actually, they flow into one another. So if you don't have those, you know, trajectories where they meet, it's actually very hard to have an organically present experience or natural experience because we yeah, don't have the linking no, part there's nothing laid down for us to follow is there yeah you know we're not taught how to be autonomous we're not encouraged to stand up for what we believe in we're not you know that idea of thinking for yourself and making decisions that are different from what other people are doing if that feels right for you is not encouraged it's not praised it's not it's not particularly welcome is no, it? and I think that's it not even like that people have really positive about it but just like it is in the negative isn't it people's reactions towards yeah. it it's like oh okay oh there yeah as a criticism <laughs> <laughs> oh sorry I should have just been a sheep with everyone else all looking the same on the conveyor yeah but that is you know it's it's you know compliance will get you to the top yeah and then, so how did you, I guess, you stepped away from the the idea that you had of what your life was going to look like in family. Yeah. How then did things turn out for you after that? Uh, <laughs> well, well, actually. <laughs> I'm like, to ask a question you know the answer to. Well, very well. <laughs> um, we should hang out less. <laughs> so I met Simon in... 20 yeah 2017 so we met on tinder you know what that's that's a, that's a popular question whenever I do a Q&A on Instagram I'm like how did you and Simon meet and then <laughs> like tinder <laughs> yeah some brand work with tinder yeah you like should a really good like poster girl for it <laughs> <laughs> the tinder life <laughs> yeah you know tinder dreams yeah so he and I met it was 2017 and yeah he is the best person I've ever met we like from the first 
hour after we met, I was like, oh, wow, okay, this is a good egg. Like, we just, <laughs> we just laughed for ages. We just laughed about everything. And it was so refreshing. It was the most refreshing thing because, you know, having a baby, being with someone that you don't particularly, you're not particularly aligned with, getting separated and divorced, is heavy. Mm. And you kind of forget how to have fun. And then I was a single mum and, like... Working really hard to get your business going as well. Totally, yeah. I was putting everything into my business because I wanted to stay in the house I was in with Oscar. And so it was intense and it was heavy and it was so wonderful to meet someone that felt light Mm. and brought that out in me and yeah he's and he's like my best mate it's it was it was great it was a the best kind of trajectory my life has ever taken I'm gonna say this quietly because he's upstairs he's like he's probably like yes (laughs) I mean he will listen to this and then he'll feel really proud of himself (laughs) Um, (laughs) but it's funny because so growing up I had this my my I was very close to my grandparents and my grandpa died recently and he was probably the person in my family who I've been closest to and when he was really ill like towards the end my dad kept asking him about his life and his friends and you know just things that he wanted to know and he my granddad had loads of mates and he said to him, yeah, but who, you know, who was your best mate? Who's your best mate? And he always just said, she is like my grandma. And that has, like, that's how I feel with Simon. Like when I met Simon, I was like, that, this is what that is. It's that, it's that mad, like they, this year they would have been married, this Christmas Eve, they would have been married 70 years. I mean, how freaking bonkers is that? <laughs> To live 70 years, let alone be married to someone yeah, else. Yeah, my grandma's 90 in December. It's, it's, it's mad. But they just had this wonderful friendship with with so much more, you know. It's but, but to be based on that kind of genuine love for each other that wasn't affected by anything else, that everything else just added to. Mm. Um, that's what I felt with Simon. Um, and I know he's my soulmate, like... He's great. I should. I feel like I should say something annoying that he does now. <laughs> something he chews really loudly. <laughs> if I'm not here, he eats out of a saucepan. That really annoys me. <laughs> but you're not there to know it, so no, I know. But I just find it when I get back. I'm like, if you eat out of a saucepan again. Sorry, I've gone off on a total tangent there. But yeah, so I met Simon, and he is a bit older than me, and we both kind of quite early on talked about whether we wanted more kids and we both had felt sad that we weren't going to have more kids when our marriages ended and so we talked about you know how much we'd love another child and so then a year after that we were expecting Cosmo (laughs) that didn't take long speaking of that child we'd both have liked to have had (laughs) Yeah, so we met in March 2017 and Cosmo was born in November 2018. So that was, you know, it was like, it was a bit weird because you're you're doing it again, but you're doing it in a different way because it's with someone else and it's not, 
I don't feel like it's quite the same as having your second baby with the same person. There is that whole other element. You know, we had two sons from our previous marriages. We were bringing them together. There's a lot more to it and it's a lot more complicated than it it might be otherwise. And obviously, he'd never done hypnobirthing. Obviously. (laughs) Being the, you know, the cynical one to them being the evangelical like we you know you've got to know about this it's it's amazing it's life-changing one session and if you don't like it we never yeah, I'm like, I know this great teacher <laughs> it'll cost you but it'll be worth it <laughs> I'll charge you half my private fee <laughs> so yeah that's where we found ourselves in 2018 and this time around like I really wanted my home birth like I was like right this time I'm no snowstorms. Yeah, there are no snow. Well, I mean, it was November, so who knew? But and because I'd obviously had a cesarean first time round, V back. Yeah, but you know, trying to get a V back at home is quite hard work. So I decided, or we decided, to employ independent midwives when I was pregnant with Cosmo, which was the best decision we made. I I had. I was working kind of alongside a team called Neighbourhood Midwives who sadly don't exist anymore in South London and was seeing the work they were doing and was just like, wow, this is what all women should be getting all the time. Mm. The level of continuity and bespoke person-centred care was just next level. And so I really didn't want to feel like I was jumping through hoops to get the birth I wanted. I just wanted someone to listen to me and support me in what I wanted. I didn't want to have to tick boxes and argue with people. Yeah, I really wanted, I was very protective of it. And so I had an amazing midwife, Rini, who is just a friend for life. She's she's Cosmo's godmother. Like, she's just amazing. And she was just such an advocate for me and such, she was so empowering. You know, she never... She always really empowered me to make my own decisions and it was great and was fully supportive of me having a home birth. So with independent midwives, do you still dip into the system for any particular care? You can still go to all your NHS midwife appointments if you want to. So I didn't go for any appointments, but I did have my my bloods at hospital just so that they had them all on file should I be transferred in. But interestingly, I did go, so I went for my booking appointment, a hospital, the NHS hospital, and the midwife there didn't realise I was using independent midwives. And she kind of said, you know, where are you having your baby? And I said, I'm going to have him at home. And she said, oh, no, you won't be able to have him at home because you're a VBAC. I was like, no, I'm I'm having him at home. She's like, well, you know, you can put your request to the birth choices board and they'll decide whether that whether you can do that. I was like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? You know, this- isn't that great in that you get to go home and think it's worth every penny you're paying for your independent midwife? Yeah, but also, but then- actually more, what it did was give me this insight of what the women I was, I was teaching were experiencing. Because it's, you know, it's interesting because that's me sat there as a birth professional fully informed about what I can and can't do and being quite confident in advocating for myself and asserting myself. But most women aren't in that position. Well, you just go along. You do. And if someone says, oh, no, that's not an option, 
of course you're going to take their word for it. So it, it really impacted, you know, how I could support the, the birthing people I was working with in a different way. Because I was like, wow, okay, this is what you're up, up against. And so anyway, obviously, I just went away and planned my home birth. <laughs> <laughs> but again, I mean, I guess it's, it's a privilege, isn't it, to be able to Absolutely. do that? Because for most people, that's the system, like you said, that you'd then have to really fought and sought permission. Absolutely. Um, or you're not left really with many options if you wanted to have a birth at home. What What are your options yeah, then? Today? In a particular position of privilege and that it didn't matter if I annoyed this midwife. Hmm. If I annoyed her by asserting myself, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to see her again. Because... I had the luxury of paying for an independent midwife, which is an absolute privilege. But for most people, if that isn't a path for you, if that isn't an option, you're then treading very carefully, aren't you? Because you're thinking, I want this person to be on my side. I don't yes. want to upset them. I don't want to annoy them. And then we go, we fall back into that people pleasing we were talking about earlier, you know, and, and then that sets you it moves you further away from asserting yourself because you just want to toe the line. So actually... And then it, it lends up, doesn't it? And then it's really hard to... Yeah, so, you know, I do fully acknowledge that having... It's a luxury to be able to assert myself and have that backup of, oh, it doesn't really matter because I've got my midwife who's happy. And, you know, which is why I say that's... Isn't it... Wouldn't it be wonderful if that's what we all got? Yes. Because women shouldn't have to feel like they have to play a system. No, for for their own birth. Yeah. And I, I think it just adds as well to the fear. Um, like it, just from the beginning, it's not something where it probably goes against everything for birth and hypnobirthing, isn't it? It's putting the fear and the adrenaline, not trusting your body. Yeah. You don't have the power of your own experience. Totally. And actually just feeling at, mer- at the mercy of, yeah. of the system you're in. Which obviously isn't always the case. You know, you're going to meet some fantastic midwives and most midwives are there because this is their passion, but they are functioning in the constraints of a system that isn't particularly empowering. So I don't think it's that they go into it with those intentions, but unfortunately it's it's just a product of the system they're operating in, which is which is a shame. And that, you know, all of the independent midwives I've encountered they've all come from the NHS because they're like, I can't work like that. I can't do my job properly because I'm not allowed to. And what a shame that is. I think there's so many things, like so many politics, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, the hierarchies. I think midwives are up against a lot. Not for me. (laughs) You know, let's face it, they're managed by men, essentially. And this is it. I mean, I think that's... A huge discussion to have in birth is management of men on women's bodies, isn't it? Well, the whole masculinity of birth, that it has been turned into this masculine-managed operation. With times and expectations. schedules, protocols, like this is is what this is going to look like. And actually, we don't know that. (laughs) We can't always operate within the constraints of that system. And not having the freedom, I think, just how different the experience could be for so many birth and people. Yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. Yeah. But you've got to go back to your amazing midwife yeah. in the knowledge that you can pursue a home birth. Yeah, so even, so interestingly, so Cosmo was head down all my whole pregnancy, like all the way. And then I was working a lot. And then at 37 weeks, I taught my last hypnobirthing class. And Simon <laughs> and I went off for the weekend just to have like a breather and, you know, yeah like a bit of time together before the baby arrived and I was in the bath and I felt this just like massive like swoosh and I was like Simon he's turned no he's turned and I text Rini my midwife I was like he's bloody turned like he's gone breach I know he has and Rini was like no he wouldn't go breach at this point like it's really unlikely like wait till you come back just relax like come and get a scan when you're back I was like, he's turned. No. I know he has. And I, I went for a scan when I got back. And, of course, he had turned. I mean, he turned um, brief at that point. <laughs> what was he playing at? Oh, and so no. I was trying everything. I really didn't want an ECV because my personal feeling on it is that he's going to find the position that's right for him. I don't want to force him into a position that he's not happy in. I'll try things to naturally encourage him to move, but I'm not going to force him to do it. And, and for those who don't know, that's like a manual yeah, turning. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so the manual turning of the baby. And so a friend of mine is an acupuncturist, and so I tried something called moxibustion, which is where you burn a moxa stick, which is, I guess, like a big incense stick, over points. It's a particular point on the heel. And it is said to encourage babies to turn. And it was amazing. So every time I did it, he started turning. But he'd only ever go to transverse and then, which is lying sideways, and then turn back again. <laughs> so I was doing this twice a day. And then he did actually turn back to being head down. So in that time, whilst he was still breech, I was like, right, what am I going to do if he's breech? And my midwife was like, well, you know, you can either have a section or you can have a natural breech birth I was like really she was like yeah I was like but in hospital she was like or at home and what I found really enlightening was I did a lot of research then about vaginal breech birth which again is not something we really talk about because it doesn't really happen anymore but the reason it doesn't happen is because we're not we don't let it happen (laughs) and actually (laughs) as a product of that midwives have lost their skill in supporting vaginal breech birth so it's not actually that it's particularly dangerous you know it's just another kind of normal those skills have been yeah exactly so that's what makes it dangerous um my midwife's like no we're we're completely happy to support we do loads of home breech births i was like really (laughs) so (laughs) so anyway so i thought right i'll go for a scan because i wanted to see if he was kind of bum down or leg down if he was leg down I would have gone for an elective section. And if he was bummed down, I was going to try a vaginal breach at home. Anyway, so I went in for this scan and he turned head down again. Oh, <laughs> hold the phones. <laughs> Don't worry. We're back on plan home birth. And what's funny is that this all happened in the space of like two weeks. It was like a very, I had a really straightforward pregnancy. And then in these last two weeks, it was just bonkers. And how dare I relax? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> keeping me on my toes and so yeah so I, I went back to playing my home birth with him being head down or being straightforward 
And anyway, so then I knew when I was going to go into labor, which sounds really weird, but we didn't have, we were going, we were coming up to a weekend where we didn't have our bigger boys. And I was like, we're going to have him this weekend. Even though I wasn't even, I think I was like 38 weeks or 39 weeks, can't quite remember. But I was like, I'm sure it's going to happen this weekend. And in the morning, you had that space. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and I knew that's what I needed. I needed for no one else to be in the house. I woke up, the boys had gone back to their other parents on the Friday evening. And then on Saturday morning, I woke up at like five o'clock in the morning and my waters had released. I was like, I was right. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just got back into bed. I wasn't having any surges or anything. And then when Simon woke up, I told him, and then he was like, so what do we do? What do you want to do? I was like, well, let's just go. Why don't we go and walk the dogs? He's like, what, outside? I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we went to Dulwich Woods and walked the dogs. And by this time I was having surgery. So we were walking. It was such, it's such a vivid memory because we were walking around the woods, walking the dogs. Um, and I was having <laughs> surgeries and knowing that, that day we were probably going to meet our baby. It was it's such a surreal thing, isn't it? When you know that starting. I think I found it really hard to contain yeah. my excitement because it was not to go on holiday, but like you know, it's that kind of build up, isn't it? And then we kind of we were in touch with our midwife, and she was happy, and she said, you know, let me know when when the surges get stronger or close together. So got home, and then my surges started ramping up, and I got in the bath, and then we were like, right, you should come round because they're getting quite close together. And she came round and I was in the living room, like watching some telly or something. And she took my temperature and it was really high. And she was like, you've got a really high temperature. I was like, no, no, no. Well, I've just had a, I've just had a hot bath. Like that will be why. And she was like, okay, go and have a cool shower and we'll take it again. So I went and had a cool shower thinking, shit, I don't want to have a t-. And I felt fine. I didn't feel bad. And um, she took it again. She's like, it's even higher. She's like, we're, we're going to have to transfer in because you might have an infection. And and it was wonderful because I really trusted that she wasn't going to take any risk. And I knew, yes. I didn't question her. I trusted her completely because I knew she wanted me to have the birth I wanted. You know, she she wasn't going to transfer me in unnecessarily. I think that having a continuity in someone totally. you know and trust, isn't it? If had been someone else it would have been that you're trying to undo my plan. Yeah, she could really hold my disappointment. You know, yeah. she was like, I, I yeah. know you're gutted. I know, but it's going to be okay. And she knew, she knew what to say. And that was just mm. invaluable because it wasn't like someone didn't get it. You know, she was totally on, on my page. And so we didn't everything in her power yeah, to totally. protect you and your brother totally so she came to hospital with us and then they took my temperature again and it'd gone up again and so they, there was just no hanging around really so it was straight to a c-section because they were very worried about my temperature and also I was like I'm not going to be induced I'm not I'm not interested in going down that route either I'm having my home birth or I'm having a section I was very clear about my path to birth I didn't want to go through this drawn out, prolonged, you know, trying to force my baby to do something he didn't want to do. And interestingly, during the cesarean, he was turning back to breach. So they actually had to use forceps to bring him down because he'd gone so high up 
it was a really long C-section. Like Oscar was out in like wow. a minute. And with Cosmo, I felt like I was in theatre for ages. And I don't know, because I'd had one before, I was like, why is this taking so long? Then you yeah. started... Yeah, I was like, some, like, this isn't, and I was feeling a lot more kind of pushing and pulling than I had before. And obviously, there was a, it was a big gap, but still, I could still remember. And then, uh, but my midwife had her hand on my shoulder, and I will never forget, I'll just never forget it. Like, it was the most comforting thing. Because it was like, I knew she was looking after me without saying or doing anything. It was amazing. I felt so held. And then he was finally born. He had the cord wrapped so tightly around his neck, like three times, to the point that his earlobes were pushed up against his head. And it took like three days for his earlobes to come down. Seriously, he's got really bendy earlobes. So So he was obviously trying to untangle himself, but just getting himself in a worse state. And he was fine, but it was almost like he was telling me all along that that's the way he needed to be born. I was like, he was like, just listen, mum. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've been trying to tell you. How many more signs do you want? <laughs> Which kind of led to us calling him Cosmo as well, because it was like, this boy knows what he's doing and he's got a bigger purpose here. He's here to teach us something. Although it took some convincing for Simon. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, Chosen, oh, well like so. you know afterwards I was like god you know I'm so tired you know what about Cosmo <laughs> he's like fine <laughs> I yeah. have just given birth so probably get to sleep now <laughs> so yeah he was born he was put on my chest you know he was he was fine once the cord was unraveled I lost quite a lot of blood so it was a lot more it was a much more traumatic section than my first birth and it was a lot less straightforward. And I, I don't know, you can just kind of sense when something isn't right, can't you? And you're thinking, okay, I just need to do my... And again, it was the breathing. So I remember the anaesthetist saying to me, okay, you're, you're losing quite a lot of blood. Tell me if you feel sick and I'll give you something that will stop you feeling sick. And I was just saying, am I going to pass out? Am I going to pass out? And she was like, I don't think so. <laughs> So I, was like, I just want to know if I know that if I know that that might happen I'm okay <laughs> just tell me so I don't think you know the worst and I was just lying there like I just tried to relax my body because I thought if I'm tense then my muscles are going to be working harder and I'm going to bleed more whereas if I relax everything's going to soften and then you know they got the bleeding under control and I was obviously fine but I did feel very kind of weak for the next couple of days and so I was in for two nights, or maybe three, after Cosmo, whereas Cos- with Oscar, I went home the next day. Did you need a transfusion, Holly? No, I didn't need a transfusion, just, which I was really happy about. Just lots of iron supplements afterwards. <laughs> I did I did um, encapsulate my placenta that time, though. So that I felt definitely, I felt a real difference from first birth to second with that. So my midwife encapsulated it for me. And my placenta is massive with Cosmo. Extra yeah. pills. I mean, I really got my money's <laughs> worth with that one. But that time was just, it, it's funny because I, I took such a different approach. You know, with Oscar, I was out with him in the buggy after like three days. With Cosmo, I didn't get out of bed for a week. And then I lay on the sofa for another week. 
and my friend Becky Hans, who is a really good friend of mine, she's always she's a doula and I'm and a masseuse as well, and she's always like a week in bed, a week on the sofa. I was like, right, I'm doing that, <laughs> and it was just a total <laughs> game changer. And again, I know not everyone has that luxury, but I kind of knew that that was important to my recovery. And so I'd put a lot of stuff in place to make it like I'd I'd ask friends to collect Oscar from school. I'd got like meals in the freezer, you know, just things that would make that postnatal period easier, which before I hadn't even hadn't even crossed my mind first time. So again, you, you kind of you live and you learn, don't you? And you think, right, what could I do to help my experience this time I knew I wanted to have a more positive breastfeeding journey I knew that meant I needed to rest and eat properly like you know stripping it back to basics yeah and it was just the most magical intimate wonderful bubble I was in and it's just been you know a much more a much more empowering experience all around I'd say just because I, I did I honestly didn't care what other people thought I really didn't like I didn't care if people thought I was mad for planning whatever I was planning I just it just didn't bother me whereas first time like I didn't tell anyone I was planning a home birth I was so worried about what people thought and then by that point you know eight years later I was like it doesn't really matter like that lesson isn't it I think it takes probably a while to understand so it takes (laughs) you know identifying what it's what it means to be accountable and autonomous and that a big part of that is actually focusing just on your own experience and actually it doesn't matter what other people think of it or what other people are doing you know one person's choice isn't a criticism of yours and vice versa like it really doesn't affect me what other people decide is safe or normal or you know whatever it's irrelevant that's their that's yeah and and I was much more confident to just embrace that second time and also I think you have that frame of reference of how quickly it goes the first time I was so worried about missing out on something and I I felt like I'd fallen off the face of the earth whereas the second time I was like well it's all going to (laughs) carry on I'll just rejoin a bit later like it's not going anywhere whereas I first time I was like I have to go out (laughs) what if something drastic changes and I think you're most you're more conscious of missing out on your baby and yeah moments not the external things happening outside exactly and also having an eight-year age gap it was amazing that when I had Cosmo how big Oscar seemed I was like oh god you're (laughs) so big (laughs) he'd always been a baby you know he he just seemed enormous so it's like I just wanted to really yeah. soak up every emotion, every minute of it, rather than wishing for the next thing. Like he, you know, he still goes to sleep in baby grows. I had us wearing pajamas by like six months. Yeah, no white baby. <laughs> <laughs> and how was it settling in as a new family? I guess you were sort of a new family, and then Cosmo came. And yeah, it was great. It actually, it was you know it definitely wasn't without its hurdles as I don't think any change in family dynamic is. But it really, I feel like both of our boys are very different. They're polar opposites. And it was like Cosmo fitted in as the link. And he was their Mm. common ground. He was, you know, both of their brother, brothers. And 
they were just wonderful with him. You know, they weren't jealous. They weren't, not that it's bad to be jealous because that's that's obviously normal, but they seemed to, it's, it was like a tangible shift for them, I think, that it's like, okay, this is our family now. Rather than feeling mm. like two families that were living together, it felt more like one family. And obviously they've got their other families too. But I think what we've always talked to them about is that this is more people to love you. And it's not, you're not losing love, you're gaining it. And that's always been kind of how we've approached it. So yeah, it was, it was like the missing piece, I think Cosmo was. And he's just, he's so much like them both, which is crazy because they're so different, but he's Mm. just got qualities from both of them, which is lush. And it's, yeah, he's such a, he's such a mix of them both. And he always asks after them both now as well. I was, I was just saying, like, you now, if we're calling, like, if dinner's ready and we're like, boys, and he goes, boys! He's like the parent. <laughs> well, he has yeah. that innate yeah, exactly. I know about dinner, yeah. it's the best time yeah, of the day. Exactly. I mean, I agree. <laughs> Followed by dessert and wine. Oh, but oh, thank you so much. It's it's just so nice to hear. And I think it is important to also extend the conversations around things like hypnobirthing to include yeah, all types absolutely. of Absolutely. I mean, that's it? definitely informed. My births have informed my teaching so much because I think we can so easily fixate on this idea of a perfect birth. And actually... A, that looks different to everyone, and B, it doesn't exist as a single package, you know. And preparing for an empowered, positive, autonomous experience is so much more relevant and important and transformative, actually, than getting fixated on this idea of a textbook one. So definitely something that I try and do in my teaching with the birthing people I meet is to, you know, equip them for that and teach them how to navigate change because let's face it the second you become a parent you're navigating change all the time <laughs> like these are life skills you know nothing is as you expect it to be and the sooner you can get on board with that the more enjoyable your journey is going to be as soon as we you know if we succumb to these ideas that this is how our baby should sleep this is how they should eat this is how they should behave we're just screwed well, I don't know anybody who would hear to that because well, I mean they're all their own person, isn't it? And even it must be so funny because having had, I think the if you have two, you must really come to understand that because what you've done for the first one, I imagine, yeah. doesn't work oh for the God. second and, one. And my boys are so different, <laughs> totally. Yeah. You realise that you've got this unique personality to nurture. And actually being the parent that that child needs rather than the parent you think you should be. You know, we all have different needs, don't we? Yeah. But I think the more we can (laughs) nurture those being unique rather than insisting that they comply and and toe the line with what they should be doing, the better we're setting them up for being able to do that as they grow. And also I think there's such, I don't know, there's such a space for us to learn in that as well. I know with Ava... I think she's we're quite similar in a lot of ways. The points that I find hardest are the things that don't mm. come naturally to me. And so I've been learning all these new things of how to be as a person, yeah. not just as a parent. Yeah, it's constant growth, isn't it? 
and and being willing yeah. to, to yeah, think if I want to do it like that I'm going <laughs> to change like I think a lot of people are very set in their ways and have very set ideas of how it should be and actually I think part of the joy of children and parenting is that you get to rewrite it and you get to experiment and you get to say this isn't working I'm going to shift something and that you don't you're not bound to comply with anything you're not even if you feel like you are you're not you know you can move Mm, yes (laughs) well you have to you have to (laughs) they don't really give you much of a choice (laughs) about it And Holly, how can people connect with you on Instagram? Yeah, uh, Instagram is where I spend most of my time. <laughs> so you can find me on Instagram at <laughs> the Yes Mum Mum, and yeah, or my website is yesmumcards.com. And my hypnobirthing home study course is there. All of my MP3s are there. My affirmation cards are there. You can find lots there. Oh, and my and my second book is out, out next year. That's exciting. That's that's actually been quite a tonic to write because that is all about you know what we've been talking about. It's called motherhood your way, and it is that it's that non-prescriptive, instinctive approach to parenting and and finding yourself as a mother. So that's exciting. Here's a surprise poster for you all. Yeah. What's to come? <laughs> this is the <laughs> yeah, it's a very long trailer. <laughs> pleasure thank Thank you so much much for having me it's a privilege to be on your podcast i hope you enjoyed this episode come connect with me on instagram with the handle born underscore underscore together i'd love to hear from you and please do share subscribe and rate the podcast to help it get out to a wider audience i'd love if you could until next week bye